Thank you so much to our worship team. Good to have you guys um, on stage with us. We're starting a new series this morning called House Rules, um, birthed out of the understanding that in our vision movements, we've got our fourth vision movement saying that we believe that we're a church that wants to make a difference. And when it comes to making a difference, I think it's so easy to think about making a difference all over the world, but not understanding that it starts at home. Um, making a difference starts with the people closest to you. So a verse that actually caught our attention is in Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2 that says, watch what God does and then you do it. I think we can stick with that for a while. <laughs> watch what God does, then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with Him and learn a life of love. love. Observe how Christ loved us. And then this, He says, His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of Himself to us. And I want to add this, in your homes, love like that. I've got a great privilege of... Um, Welcoming Mark and Cora Hodgetts. Uh, let's give them a hand, Mark, as you come forward. Um, Pete, if you can just bring that little thing over. Mark um, has a great journey, one of the heroes of faith in South Africa. Guess what? Um, been um, part of the Rayma team for how many years, Mark? 25 years. 25 years at Rayma. Part of his res responsibility at Rayma Church was leading a Bible school um, that had more than 25,000 students come through, through that. As part of what he does at the moment is um, builds up and empowers the local church. And it's such an honor to have Mark with us this morning. Mark and Cora, you guys are a great blessing. Let's give him a hand as he shares Thank with you. us this morning. Thank you so much. And good morning, everybody. Uh, I once heard a guy starting a speech this way. He said, before I speak, I want to say a few words. So that's what I want to do this morning before I speak. I just want to say a few words. My mother taught me well. She said, you need to deal with uh, courtesies, niceties, and pleasantries first. So thank you so much for receiving us here. Uh, it, it's an honor and a privilege for us. And we've been overwhelmed by the kindness and so good to see some friends. And I don't want to say old friends, long-standing friends. Uh, and, and great to be here. And... and uh, I realize that to come and listen to somebody that you do not know is, takes a lot of faith. Uh, in fact, Paul speaks about three great forces in the life of a, of a believer. He speaks about faith, hope, and love. The fact that you are here proves to me that you have faith. If you're still here halfway through the sermon, it proves that you have hope. If you stay right until the end, you have love. So uh, thank you for that. And I, I'm so excited to, to be able to deal with the, uh, with the theme that you are starting, the series that you're starting. And, you know, my, my gifting uh, graciously is, is that of a teacher. And teachers always start with the basics. When you go to school, they start with A, B, C, one, two, three, do, re, mi. <laughs> that's, that's it. So I'm going to share with you something very, very basic about households. And uh, I, I, I know I might shock you with this statement, but I want to start this way and say that God loves gangsters. 
and I want to tell you about a gangster, kind of a cross between Danny DeVito and a man called Charles Ponzi. I'm sure you've heard of a Ponzi scheme. So, so here was this short little gangster. <laughs> Uh, and and I'm, I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about a Bible character named Zacchaeus. And we know he was a con man, short of stature. Uh, his mother had high ideals for him, called him Zacchaeus, which means pure, just, innocent. Uh, but when... when Zach, because I'm sure they shortened his name to fit his stature. When Zach was at the height or the, maybe the low of his crime career, he had this desire to see Jesus. And we know the story how he got into this tree and Jesus noticed him and then said, I'm coming to your house. And then I want you to, to uh, notice this particular verse in Luke 10. And Jesus says these words. He says, salvation has come to this home today. That, that really struck me when I saw that statement of Jesus. Jesus never said salvation has come to this individual, to this man. But he said salvation has come to this home. Now, just, just to explain the word salvation, uh, it is, it's such a beautiful word, especially in, in the Hebrew, because it speaks about supernatural and natural deliverance, rescue, liberation. Uh, it applies to the spiritual, to the physical, the emotional, the financial even. And, uh, and that's what God wants to bring into our homes. God wants to bring that wholeness, that safety, that security in our homes. And so this is what Jesus speaks uh, over this home. He says, salvation has come to this home. And when I read this, I realized uh, that Jesus really is the one who came to introduce God to us as Father. Because Jesus is trying to explain the whole concept of family to us. And God is the original Father. God is the one who invented families. And, and it's so interesting that, that I, I do believe that what I get out of this, and this is what I'm going to share with you if I can give this a title this morning, I want to speak about the fact that God is a household God. And I want to show you that God is interested not just in you as an individual, but in your whole family. And he wants to bless your family. In fact, the very first words that God spoke to Adam and Eve when he created them, uh, he spoke to them and he said, he, he, the Bible says he blessed them. And then his first words, go multiply. Because God wanted children. God wanted families. God wanted blessed families. And even right through the Old Testament, you can go and read about that, how, how God uh, was interested in, in blessing and bringing salvation to whole families. Interesting, go and read the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. When God's judgment comes to the city, the angels come and, and, and warn Lot. And God says, I'm going to destroy the city, but I want you to go and tell your family. And specifically, if you go and read there, he says, go and tell your sons-in-law. They included in the family. 
And if you go and read when, when Lot actually gave them the message, they didn't believe. They mocked him and they laughed. So God was prepared to save even unbelieving sons-in-law. God even wants to save your mother-in-law. <laughs> so, so it's so interesting to, to see that God was interested in, in, in these families. Here's another interesting fact that you go and can go and study. We know about the year of Jubilee, where people who had a lot of debt, they could actually sell themselves uh, to someone else as a servant. But in the year of Jubilee, not only that individual was liberated, but his whole family. And God spoke this message of, of liberation, of salvation to the whole family. Uh, we, we know Joshua, who made the statement in front of the whole of Israel, and he said, as for me and my household, uh, in fact, different translations translated different ways, as for me and my whole family, we're going to serve the Lord. And again, it's an interesting uh, incident to go and read about how eventually the whole nation made this declaration. So what I want to say is that God is interested in, in households, and God wants to save your whole family, and it's just the fact that you are in his kingdom gives him a foot in the door. Now, I, I, I need to stress this. I do believe that salvation, especially when we speak about forgiveness of sins, uh, rescue from all kinds of evil, etc., etc., uh, that kind of salvation is a personal choice. You cannot make the decision for anyone else. It's always been. I love what, what David Duplessis said. He used to be known as Mr. Pentecost and, and was very involved in, in starting the charismatic move in, in some uh, traditional churches. And he, he made this statement, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So making a decision is a personal thing. And there's no such thing as surrogate salvation. It's a personal decision that you have to make. But I want to say to you that you can influence your family and your whole family can come into, into God's kingdom. So uh, I, I want to take you to the book of Acts. And I want to show you five households and show you how God got one individual, but then spoke these words directly or indirectly every time that you and your household can be saved. And if you have someone here that is not part of God's family yet, I want to encourage you to stand on these promises because God has the ability to bring your whole household in. Uh, so the, the first household that we're going to look at is Cornelius. And he was a, a, a military man, an army officer and his household. And you can go read in Acts 10 and, and Acts 11 about Cornelius. So, so here's some interesting background about Cornelius. Wasn't a, a Jew, was not a Christian at the time we read about him first. We know that he was most probably from his Latin name Cornelius, that he was a, a Roman uh, soldier, obviously with a high rank, and uh, came from a, a pagan, polytheistic uh, background, but must have heard about Jesus from the Jews, from, heard about the Messiah. 
And, and here's an interesting fact about him. Though he was not a Christian at the time, he was religious, he was sincere, and we know that he served the people, although he was in a position of authority where he was in control, he was a servant. And he gave uh, alms to the poor. And, and here's the amazing thing. Go and, and again, I, I don't have the time to read all of it, but go and study it you'll find God heard his prayers as an unbeliever. And it actually says that his prayers came up before God as a monument. Wow. Now, if God gives attention to the prayers of an unbeliever, how much more will he listen to you and your prayers? So God, and I'm speaking in human terms here, God goes to a lot of trouble. I know there's nothing that troubles God, but God takes extraordinary measures to bring Cornelius and his household into his kingdom. So here's what he does. He sends an angel to Cornelius. He says, go and call for a man. And, and he gives uh, Peter's name and his surname, Simon Peter. He gives his address. He says he's listening. Uh, he's uh, staying with, with Simon the Tanner. Uh, in the town of Joppa, go in, in, in modern-day Tel Aviv. He, he gives him the address. He says, send somebody there. And he says, he'll give you a message. And he'll, he even gave the outcome. And he says, you and your household will be saved. And that's what we read, uh, sorry, there in, in Acts 11, 13, and 14. You and your whole household will be saved. So then Peter is the one. Now, at that stage, Peter did not even think of Gentiles as being savable. <laughs> so what does God have to do? He sends him a vision, a disturbing vision. Three times he sees these unclean animals coming down from heaven. And God says, eat. For a Jewish man, that must have been very, very shocking. But God had to do that to get Peter out of his religious racism, out of his spiritual xenophobia. Because Peter didn't think that, although he had gone some way, but because even living in a tanner's house would have been unclean for a Jew. But God had to shock him, and then God confirmed that there's somebody at the, at the door, they're already waiting for you, and Peter makes his way, and, and the rest of history, you can go and read about that, how um, uh, Cornelius and his whole household uh, got saved. And, and just incidentally, it speaks about relatives, it speaks probably about his servants and the soldiers under him, all of them. God targeted all of them, and God saved them. Now, here's what, what tradition tells us. They say that, um, that the first uh, uh, church in Caesarea started there, and they claim that, that Cornelius started that church. I, I don't have enough proof of that, but that's what they say. But here's what I want to say to you as a modern-day believer. If God can do it for a pagan man, God can bring your whole family in. God can save your whole household. And that's the kind of promise that we do stand on. So let me, let me take you to the second household, and it will prove to you God did not just work with patriarchs, but with matriarchs. Because here we find a woman called Lydia, a businesswoman, and a whole household. And, and it's so interesting, if you, if you look at, at her, her business, she had a a clothes shop, a, a fabric store, if you want to call it that. And she specialized in 
purple cloth. And uh, if, if you read about purple cloth in the Bible, when James speaks about a rich man coming into your assembly wearing purple. Anybody wearing purple? I see here and there. Only royalty wore purple at that time. So they need to respect you at least for that. And it was so expensive because, yes, this is an interesting fact, they had to use thousands of little uh, uh, sea snails and they had to crush them and then make that purple dye. So it was only available to uh, royalty at the time. And, and Roman togas, etc., etc. that they were. So, so Lydia finds herself in the city of Philippi. And uh, we, we read about that in, in Acts 16, that Paul and his company went there on the Sabbath, and they went to the river where they usually found the, the Jews, because uh, obviously the, the Jews were, were, had all kinds of uh, cleansing ceremonies. They needed water, etc., etc. So at the river, it says this. You can read the scripture there, that one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in pur purple cloth. And here was a home city, Thyatira. Uh, and it says she was a worshiper of God. Now, please, please listen to me carefully. Here we find, again, uh, a Gentile uh, being open to the message of the gospel. And as you can read there, that eventually she and the members of her household uh, got saved. And again, it's amazing. Here, God intervenes in the life of of a businesswoman. She probably had a home industry. She wasn't here in Arana Hills Plaza. It was just a home industry, but she was a wealthy woman. Invited Paul and his company to overnight there, and the whole family again got saved. Now, this we know for a fact that the first church in Europe started here in Philippi. So again, I want to say this. If you as an individual believe God, He'll bring in your household, and He'll even impact the city. That's God's heart, because He wants to bless families. He wants to bring salvation to families. The third household that we read about, and here's the interesting fact. The first three households getting saved in the book of Acts were all Gentiles. So here we read about uh, the Philippian prison warden and his household, uh, and, and, and we're still in, in Acts 16. Now, in my Bible... It speaks about him as a jailer. And I know today we have to be sure that we're politically correct so we don't use the word jailer. We speak about a sub supervising custodian in a correctional facility. <laughs> but in those times it was still a jailer. So I'm going to refer to him as a prison warden, whatever it might be. So here's what happens. We know the story, Paul and Silas landing in jail, uh, singing praise songs to God at midnight. God kind of hears their songs, taps with his foot, causes an earthquake, and uh, the prison doors miraculously open. They, they are liberated. And this man obviously thinks, I, my, my uh, seniors, my super, superiors, going to kill me because uh, all the prisoners are free. And then uh, uh, Paul speaks to them, to him, and, and here's his, his response to him in, in verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Isn't that amazing? I think we should look 
at households from a new perspective. That God is interested in getting that whole household saved. And this is what happens here. And it says in verse 23, And immediately he and all his family were baptized. This is midnight, remember? Just after midnight. They didn't wait for the next baptismal service. Right there, midnight. I once in South Africa, in the middle of winter, got a phone call from a family. They listened to some, some sermon where I taught on, on water baptism, and they were desperate to be baptized. So I said, well, okay, let me just check when is the ne next baptismal service. They said, no, we want to be baptized tonight, winter. So I thought at least they will have a, a bath of water in the house, swimming pool, <laughs> on a winter's night. I didn't need an icebreaker for the meeting. I was the icebreaker. <laughs> and I love it when people are so convicted, like this man. He didn't wait for the sun to rise. Immediately they were baptized. So the whole message here, again, he probably was not even a God-fearing man like, like um, Cornelius was or a God-fearing woman like, like Lydia was. But... Uh, and, and it's very interesting if you go and, and, and see the comparison in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and the response to the message was from the Jews, brethren, what shall we do? Here he says, sirs, because he was not a Jew, what shall I do? So for the Jews, they just had to repent. Because that's the response of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Here, he has to change his whole belief system. And, and, uh, but God does that, and God intervenes, intervenes in his family, and, and the whole family is baptized. Now, just incidentally, let me throw this in at no extra cost. Some people presume that there were babies. You have many households without babies. So they try and use the scripture to, to justify uh, infant sprinkling. And we know you cannot do it from what is not written. We need to, to exercise exegesis and see what the Bible says, not what the Bible doesn't say, exercising eisegesis, reading things into the Bible. So in any case, I, I want to encourage you again. Here, a church was started, as I said, in the same city of Philippi, Maybe, and this I just made up, maybe he became the janitor of the church because he was used to carrying keys around. Uh, but him and his whole family got saved. Then another interesting household, the next one that I want to uh, show you is a man called Crispus. Crispus, again, uh, an interesting name. Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. So here we find a Jewish family. And just incidentally, in South Africa, we, I think you, you speak here of Santa Claus, do you? In South Africa, we speak of Father Christmas. So here was a father, and he is called Father Crispus. <laughs> and incidentally, the name Crispus is where we get our word crisp from, fresh. So his name was Crispus. He was a father. In modern days, they would have called him Daddy Cool. <laughs> and he was a cool guy because here he walks out of the synagogue and incidentally the Jews opposed what Paul said he walks as the ruler of the synagogue walks out with Paul to the house next door a man called Justice and he gets born again 
in a home meeting. <laughs> and again, it says there, go and read it. It says, the ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his household. And look at the last part of that verse. It says, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and and were baptized. So again, one man making a stand for Jesus, God brings his whole family in and affects the whole city. That's God's desire. God wants us to impact our communities. So uh, I, I want to go on to the last household that, that I want to tell you about. And this time the household is not mentioned, but we read about the grandmother and the mother. Lois, the grandmother, and then Eunice was, uh, was Timothy's mother. And so, uh, in, in Acts 16, let's read that first. It says that there was a certain disciple uh, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who believed, and his father was Greek, and it says he was well spoken of by the brethren. Now, we don't know who the father was. He's not mentioned by name. We don't know what his status was. It just says at that time he was not a believer. He was, he was a Greek. He might have become a believer later. Let me encourage you, if you are a single parent, doesn't matter. If you have a spouse that might not be a believer, doesn't matter. God has a foot in the door. Hallelujah. <laughs> and incidentally, if you are in such a family, here's the good news. Go and read in, in, in 1 Corinthians. Paul speaks about this. He says, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Not saved, because I said it must be a personal decision. Sanctified means set apart. If you are a believer and you have an unbelieving spouse, you can trust God for your whole family to be set apart, for your whole family to enjoy covenant benefits, because you are a believer and God will honor your prayers. Isn't that good news? So this is, this is the, the, the situation here uh, of, of, of Timothy. And um, what we know about Timothy is that he was taught the Scriptures from infancy. I don't have this on the screen, but you can write the Scripture down. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes to him, and he says to him these words, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And the specific Greek word used there for childhood is the word that speaks of infancy. So from a small child, Timothy was trained in the Scriptures. And, and, and it speaks about the fact that, that he, uh, uh, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting or having faith in Christ Jesus. So this is what, what Timothy was uh, brought up on, on the Scriptures. I heard a story about, about four theologians, and they were having a discussion about what is the best English translation of the Bible. And the one guy said, I prefer the King James Version because of its expressive, dramatic, poetic kind of classical English. The other guy said, I actually prefer the English Standard Version, the latest English translation, because... Um, uh, of its accuracy in, in translating the original text in understandable English. And the, the next guy said, no, the New Living Translation, I like the paraphrase because it, it, it's so simple to read and I can, I can understand it because it uses modern-day idioms, etc., etc. So the fourth theologian was quiet for a while. He said, I like my mother's translation the best. 
So the other three guys were chuckling about this. They, they said, do you mean your mother actually translated the Bible? He said, yes. My mother translated the Bible in life. He said, I saw the Bible in what she did. <coughs> and I tell you what, that's so amazing that we can actually be a walking sermon. I want to say this to you. The only Bible that many people will read is what they see in you. The only Jesus that they will ever experience is the Jesus that shines through you. And you can be the one that makes a difference in, in someone's life. And I think that is so vitally important. And, and here in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, Paul again uh, writes to Timothy and he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. That's Timothy's faith. He says, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am, sure, I am persuaded now lives in you. And, and that is an amazing scripture. I want to say this. You can actually leave a faith legacy for your children. And it's important for us to consider what legacy are we going to leave? What inheritance? And I'm not talking about, about money or possessions. You need to leave a spiritual legacy. You can pass on your faith. I, let me say again, they have to make a, a, a decision themselves, personally. But you can influence your whole family. So, you know, some people leave a legacy, others just leave a vacancy. What are you going to leave? That's a challenging question. But here the whole household actually um, was saved, and, and we know that Timothy eventually became Paul's traveling companion. Now I want to conclude. And don't get your hopes up. Hopes up. I, I love concluding. I conclude about ten times in, in a sermon. <laughs> But I want to conclude with this by saying it's so amazing that God is not just a household God. He's a generational God. And you know, one of the interesting things of covenant, especially in the Old Testament, we read about this, that when people entered into covenant, they exchanged names. They changed their names. We know Abram is a classical example of that. God changed his name, and he became Abraham. But did you know that from the time that God cut covenant with Abram, God changed his own name? Just to make sure you're awake. <laughs> God changed his name because from that day onwards, he was known as the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. He took, Abram literally, if you go and study the Hebrew, took part of God's name into his name. And God took part of Abram's name into his name. And so that's how God was known from there. Because he wanted to say to the people, I'm not just, and, and over and over he said to Abram, my covenant is with you and your descendants. And then there are many other scriptures that I cannot quote right now. But for instance, in, in Exodus 20, where it speaks about the Ten Commandments, I'm actually, it bothers me when people just quote part of Scripture and they mutilate Scripture because they cut off important parts. Bible was never written in chapters and verses, so don't mutilate Scripture. Make sure you get the full message. 
Here's the, here's the part of the scripture in Exodus 20 that they, they quote. They, God speaks about visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children uh, and the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. And that's where they stop. If they just continue reading, the next verse says, He will show mercy and steadfast love, not just to the third and the fourth generation, but to thousands of generations. And that's the promise that God wants to give you. God wants to bless thousands of generations following you because of your decision that you made for Christ. He's a generational God. In, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7 and verse 9, the message put, puts it this way. Know uh, this God, your God, is God indeed, a God you can depend on. He keeps His covenant of loyal love with those who love Him and observe His commandments for a thousand generations. Go stick that verse on your fridge or your mirror, whichever place you visit the most. And read that every day. And let it sink into your heart. Let it become part of the promise that you stand on for your family. And even in the New Testament, we read in in Luke 1 and verse 50, when when Mary uh, sings her song of praise to God, she says, His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear Him. I want to encourage you today. And I want to say to you, God wants to bless your household. God is interested in your whole family, even those who are unbelievers at the moment, even those who have, maybe they've grown up in the church even and they've they've gone into the world. You need to confess over them that God sees them as in the kingdom because that's his desire. And if you make that declaration that Joshua made, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God will honor that. Let's stand. Maybe today you want to stand in the gap for your family. Maybe you, you just want to, to pray a prayer and just mention your family before God. So right now, I just want us to close our eyes because I want us to focus on God and forget about everybody else. And maybe there's someone specifically that you are thinking of right now. I want you to actually mention that person's name before God. Call out that name and say, God, I'm standing on your promise because your intent is to save my whole family. And I'm going to speak God's word over them. And I'm going to call them into the kingdom. And I'm going to trust you, Father, to bring them in. Because you're a household God and you're a generational God. And I want you to speak over the generations to come. If you have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, speak over those who are not born yet. And mention their name before God. Father, we thank you as we can right now. 
mention people's names. And if you have somebody in mind, just lift your hand and say, God, you know who I'm speaking about. And lift your hand right now so that God can know this is the person that I'm identifying. And Father, these individuals, you know them. You actually had a plan for them before the foundation of the world. And we thank you for sending laborers across their path. We thank you we don't have to pray and ask God, ask you to save them because you've already done everything to save them. Your work is complete. All that we need to pray according to how Jesus taught us, let laborers be sent into the harvest field because you see the harvest field as ripe. You see them as ready for the harvest. And we just thank you that laborers will come. And if we have to be the laborers, thank you for using us. That will speak the words over them that will line up with your desire for them. And we see them in the kingdom. We see them serving God. And we want to make this declaration strongly. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we thank you for that. And Father, if there's anyone here today that might not be sure of their relationship with God, I thank you that we can pray a prayer that will help them to have an encounter with the living God. Because we know it's not religion, it's not even attending church or anything else that would bring salvation to us. It's a personal encounter with and belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior. I'm going to ask you, and, and maybe you have prayed this prayer before, but just bear with me, and, and even if you've prayed this before, I want us to pray this out loud. I'm going to lead you phrase by phrase, because maybe there's someone that's praying this prayer for the first time. Is that okay with you? Say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you right now, just as I am. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Jesus, I invite you come into my life. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness and make me brand new. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus died in my place, that he took my punishment so that I can be free. I received the gift of eternal life by grace, through faith. I'm now a child of God. I'll follow you for the rest of my life and enjoy eternity in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.